Thanks for having me, Tom. You know, it, it's funny. The, the first project I ever was assigned at Compliance Week was to edit uh, one of your podcasts that you did with Lewis Sapperman, if I'm, if I'm pronouncing his last name right. So I feel like I finally come full circle now to be a podcast guest. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the FCPA Compliance Report. Today I have with me Kyle Brasseur. Kyle is the newly installed editor-in-chief at Compliance Week. We talk about his career, his work at Compliance Week, and his moving up to the editor's chair. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Are you interested in learning about how design thinking can improve your compliance program? Then check out my latest podcast, Design Thinking and Compliance, where with my co-host, Karsten Tams, we explore this question. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I'm extraordinarily pleased to have with me Kyle Brasser and even more proud to say Kyle Brasser, Editor-in-Chief of Compliance Week. So, Kyle, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having me, Tom. You know, it's funny. The the first project I ever was assigned at Compliance Week was to edit uh, one of your podcasts that you did with Lewis Sapperman, if if I'm pronouncing his last name right. So, I feel like I've finally come full circle now to be a podcast guest. <laughs> well, that's great, Kyle. Well, Kyle, could you start off by telling us a little bit about your academic and professional background? Yeah, so uh, I'm a graduate of Emerson College in Boston. I graduated in 2014. Uh, I attended Emerson for broadcast journalism, but I learned very quickly that uh, my being Portuguese means I talk too fast to be a broadcaster. So <laughs> made the transition to print journalism. Uh, I, I caught on with uh, ESPN Boston as an intern uh, my junior year of college uh, covering the, the Red Sox, which just so happened to be 2013 uh, and the year that they won the World Series. So uh, talk about a stroke of good fortune there. But uh, I stuck with ESPN for a handful of years, uh, moved on to the uh, the flagship ESPN.com for a period of several years um, on a new team that they had focused on user personalization. Um, And then from there, I I transitioned to working for a sports wire service and sort of uh, honing my skills with aggregation and content curation. uh, And very fortunately was able to turn that into uh, getting the digital editor position with compliance week in October, 2018. Uh, and I served as digital editor for several years before uh, taking over as editor-in-chief uh, very recently. Kyle, I cannot think, frankly, of a better job than covering your home team in the midst of a playoff run and World Series championship. Uh, could you just uh, share with me what that was like for you? It, it it honestly feels, when you look at it in hindsight, it, it really feels like a dream. And I think what was interesting was, you know, when you cover a sports team, you can't be a fan of the team. So I had to like go through that process of turning off my being a fan and being an unbiased reporter of the team. But I was still, you know, I think 19, 20 at the time and uh, was still very green. So, you know, it was really hard to turn off being a fan, but at the same time be covering your hometown team on its way to a World Series win. Um and, you know, I still have so many fond memories of it. You know, the Red Sox, they won the World Series in Game 6 that year at home. So I was able to be there, um, you know, be able to be on the field while the team was celebrating. Um, it was just such a cool experience. And it's just something I, I don't take for granted at all. You know, that's, that's really insane that 
that was my first year ever doing a, a really a journalism job. And I got to see them win the World Series when prior to 2004, the Red Sox didn't win the World Series for 86 years. You know, there were people that never saw them in their lifetime. So I don't take it for granted at all. It's just uh, it's a real highlight of my career. And I hope that uh, it's not the height of it, seeing as I was <laughs> that was the start of it. Followed ESPN literally since it went on the air in 1979. I was in uh, the end of college and then went to grad school and law school. And, you know, it was a revelation in the late 70s and early 80s. There have been many iterations of ESPN. Uh, I've watched the ebbs and flows. I've pretty much loved every era of ESPN. But I uh, wanted to ask you, what was your experience like working at ESPN? I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I caught on as an intern at first uh, before moving to just a freelancer. Um, and I stuck with the Red Sox for about a year before branching out into other teams. So, um, you know, they really gave me a lot of opportunities um, that I think a young journalist can only dream of. Uh, you know, I was able to cover um, uh, the Patriots, uh, the the Bruins, the Celtics, and even the local college teams, uh, you know, the Boston College Eagles uh, with both their football and basketball team. Um, so, you know, it, it really put me to the test very early in my career. Uh, and I think that that was a really positive experience. And then working for um, the flagship company over in Bristol, Connecticut, um, you know, that that really allowed me to just get a feel for the, the, the business uh, aspect of it. You know, when you're a freelancer covering the teams yourself, you're always in the field uh, and it sort of is its own world. So being part of the corporate element of it, I just really got to see how the cogs turned. You know, it, it's such a large company. I think it was something like 4000 people working in Bristol, Connecticut which is probably half the population of the entire town of Bristol, Connecticut, it feels like sometimes. But um, it's, uh, you know, it was, I, I really look back on it very fondly. Um, you know, it, it's, I think any young sports fan growing up, that's, that's a dream to be able to work at ESPN. So uh, I, I, I really enjoyed my five or six years there. Uh, Kyle, I'd like to now uh, turn to your move to Compliance Week. You mentioned you began in 2018. Could you tell us what brought you to Compliance Week and some of the roles you've held there? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting, Tom, is the first year that we um, conducted our Inside the Mind of the CCO survey, uh, we had asked respondents what brought them to compliance. And I think the majority of them answered it was a happy accident. And I, I think it's I, I find that really interesting because that's sort of how I ended up at Compliance Week being sort of a happy accident. Um, you know, I was working for a sports wire service. Uh, a job that I enjoyed, but the problem was is that it was uh, primarily remote, and it's ironic that I say that now because here I am primarily remote. But uh, it uh, remote work just didn't quite fit me. Uh, you know, I had really enjoyed working in an office when I was at ESPN, um, and so I, I started to look for a new job, and, and uh, I was really uh, just intrigued by Compliance Week. You know, being in Boston, really in the heart of the city, um, and be able to sort of have a reason to justify why I pay the high rent that it, I pay to live in Boston. Um, so, you know, that's what sort of uh, drew me to the position is once I started to sort of get familiar with the content, I started to find things that piqued my interest. You know, I didn't have a compliance background and, and reading through some of these stories sometimes felt like gibberish, but there was some of it I sound, found so fascinating. Um, and again, I joined in 2018. You know, I think one of the first things that really captivated me was earlier that year is when the, the GDPR hit and you had this privacy law that um, I think has now set the benchmark for a bunch of other privacy laws. But I think privacy is one of those things that spills over into each of our lives. It's not just a, 
compliance thing. I, I was interested in it just being a layman and, and really not understanding compliance that much. So I think those sort of things started to captivate me and drew me to the position. Um, the role was, uh, it was very <laughs> vaguely described, you know, digital editor can mean so, so many things. Uh, and I think that that's what I sort of ended up running with it was just kind of keeping it very loose, uh, and, and, you know, shifting it into a variety of different things. Uh, you know, when I did join, we were in the process of, of building our new website, which we launched in 2019. So, uh, you know, I was able to have a really big part in, in getting that off the ground and, um, you know, taking over our analytics and really just sort of determining what our user, uh, our readers are most interested in. Um, and also just working a lot with our different forms of content um, and trying to uh, sort of spice up what we do on the website. So uh, those are a lot of the, the roles that I held um, and a lot of the roles I still hold. You know, I, I think a lot of that stuff is still important. And even in this new position, I want to continue doing it and, and take the opportunity to even grow on it even further. Kyle, could you tell us a couple of the favorite projects you've worked on at Compliance Week to date? I think what I enjoy most um, is uh, when I get to get involved in our live events. Um, you know, and I, and I say this uh, after last week, I moderated a session on culture and compliance at our Europe conference that started at five in the morning. So, uh, you know, that part of it I didn't enjoy. But uh, just the discussion itself, I, I really find uh, very engaging um, and you know, I, I, I had the opportunity to do some moderating at some of our other events and to just get involved with some of those, you know, and, and once we get back to in person, I'm really hoping to boost that up. Um, so that's some of the stuff I enjoy most. Um, from a, a writing perspective, you know, my job primarily as an editor is to, you know, be an editor first and a writer second. But, um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to write quite a bit for Compliance Week. And, you know, some of the, some of the stories I enjoy most is each year, um, I put together a list of what I like to call compliance triumphs from the previous year. Um, I don't like to say compliance winners of the year because I think the best compliance programs often you'll, you'll never hear of. You know, that's what they, they they do such a good job keeping their company out of trouble that you just don't hear about it. You know, no news is good news. So I, I instead focus the list on just what I think are positive compliance moments from the previous year. Um, and that, that always is, is a list that I have fun making. Um, one other story I made, I wrote a couple years ago that still stands out to me. Um, it was uh, a lawsuit that was filed against this company um, where the chief compliance officer was, I think he was the son of the owner of the company and was like not at all qualified to be the chief compliance officer. And the story, the, the, the lawsuit was really just the judge hitting on those points and saying that this person was completely in over their head and was completely just not at all equipped to be the chief compliance officer. Um, and I think the reason it jumps out to me and the reason I remember it so well is because, uh, you know, it, it really underscores the, 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 you know, qualifications of the people that hold these chief compliance officer positions and how, you know, they need to be masters at their position in order to do it properly. Uh, and I think as someone who's a very avid reader of, you know, SEC enforcement actions and, and other uh, penalties against companies, I often see that a lot of these companies um, 
you know, it, it just seems like the chief compliance officer title is just tacked on to someone, maybe at the last minute, just to make it look better for the regulator. Oh, yeah, we have a chief compliance officer. It's so-and-so. He's been doing it for eight minutes. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it really kind of speaks to how the job needs to be done right. Um, and so those are just a couple of things that have sort of stood out to me. Uh, as you mentioned, you, I think, in October moved to the role of uh, editor-in-chief. And I wanted to maybe start with uh, if you could tell us about uh, some of your goals that you might have or other initiatives uh, that we might see uh, from your editorship. Uh, and, you know, I, I think I, I'd like to start here by sort of uh, congratulating Compliance Week's former editor-in-chief, Dave Liefert. So he uh, was promoted to managing director of Compliance Week, uh, which is what opened up the position. So. Uh, you know, if, if any of our, our listeners here know Dave, you know how much this company means to him and how much he is just an avid fan of the compliance community. So it's really awesome to see him um, getting a deserved promotion and, and really staying on with Compliance Week and, and being able to steer us um, in this the direction that he's already sort of the path he's put us on. Um, so that said, you know, in my, in my taking over as editor in chief, I don't plan to rock that boat too much. You know, I think. Um, Dave set up a lot of really good um, initiatives in his his time in the role um, that I'm planning to follow through with. You know, for example, the Inside the Mindless CCO survey, that was a Dave idea that we're continuing. Um, and, you know, some of these other um, projects that we work on, our, our case studies, uh, our, uh, our data-driven research, all of that will continue. But, you know, at the same time, uh, in, there are certain things I do th- I am interested in exploring further. Um, you know, I, I think some of the stuff I'd like to get more into is uh, something, a project I had worked on early in, in my time as digital editor, but unfortunately sort of hit the shelf was uh, user personalization and just getting our website better designed for users in order to get the content that they're most interested in immediately. Uh, you know, I always say as a, as a digital first business, we're not just competing with our competitors, we're competing with the entire internet. You know, it's, if, if someone's on our website, they could just as easily be on YouTube watching a video of a cat playing the piano. Uh, so I, I know that I have to be able to compete with that. Um, so I think a lot of what I'd like to do in the role is just really focusing on making our content as direct as possible, you know, catering to the fact that our readers are primarily on our website between the hours of nine to five. You know, they're, they're at work. They don't have all the time in the world to be reading these stories. So we need to get them their information that they want as quick as possible. Um, so that's a lot of what I'm hoping to sort of steer our content towards, just being direct and really getting this, uh, the information to the reader. We'll be right back with more from Kyle Brasseur after a message from our sponsor. Kyle, you've mentioned the uh, CW survey inside the mind of the CCO a couple of times. And I think over the last couple of years, that's become a really a popular uh, project by Compliance Week. Um, I'm not quite sure where you are in the process, but I wondered if you could maybe preview how you will present the findings. Will it be in a variety of formats, digital, audio, um, written, or how, how does CW want to get this information out and its great information to the greater compliance community? 
Yeah, so we're, we're actually um, in the process right now of, of rolling out our story content off the survey on our website. Uh, so, you know, with, with this podcast being recorded on November 18th, we just started rolling out content yesterday. Um, so, you know, we have a, a variety of, uh, of stories that we're going to be writing off the data. Uh, you know, we posted two, our, our first two stories that we posted, uh, the first one was a really interesting look at Every year we ask the question, are you happy with your job? And I think this year that question really took on extra meaning because of what we're seeing across industries right now with what they're calling the great resignation. You know, a lot of people are quitting their jobs because they just have decided they've had enough. Um, And yet in our survey, again, uh, 95% of respondents said they're happy in their jobs. And I think that that just says a lot about the compliance profession at large and the compliance community and how welcoming it is and how much people can lean on each other for support, especially in tough times like this. So, you know, we did take a look at at that disparity. You know, why is it that compliance officers are still so happy in their jobs while every other industry is seeing massive amounts of people quitting because they've just had enough? Um, So that's one piece that we we had off the survey. Um, We also had a breakdown on compliance officer salaries, you know, for the second year in a row, uh, we are, you know, we asked survey respondents what their salaries were, and, and we were able to sort of break that down by gender. And we found a large uh, gap between male and female salaries. So we really wanted to explore that further um, and, and really hone in on why is it that this gender pay gap exists, you know, especially in an industry like compliance where uh, ethics is very front of mind. Uh, you know, it's not the, the greatest thing to see. So we have two stories on that. Uh, you know, this year's survey in particular, we really wanted to hone in on um, some of the what we found were the key topics for this year. So, you know, cybersecurity, um, ESG, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. So the rest of our, our stories off the survey will sort of be related to those. You know, this we run this survey every single year. And the idea is that we need to keep it dynamic and keep it engaged and reflect the compliance um the role of the compliance officer in that year. So again, you know, last year's survey was very much focused on COVID-19. This year's survey, we focused more on ESG, uh, diversity efforts, and and cybersecurity, just noting all the ransomware attacks that happened this year. Um, So we'll have content on that. You know, the content will feature a lot of graphics, a lot of different uh, displays of the data. You know, I think that as much as our words are important, compliance officers want to be able to see what their peers exactly are saying. So, um, you know, that's going to be a lot of the presentation. Uh, And then it will also anchor our next print issue that will be going out next month. So you'll see a lot of the the um, the data in that magazine as well. But, um, you know, these are this is our third year doing the survey. And in previous years, it, it always sort of comes up. You know, it's not like we roll it out in November and then we abandon it for another year until we do it again. You know, it is constantly sort of weaving its way into our coverage because I think the survey is our best opportunity each year to get a real gauge of the compliance officer and what is top of mind for them. So, you know, for our internal use, it's completely invaluable, you know, so we know exactly what these people are saying. You know, one of the questions we asked this year for each of our little subtopics of cybersecurity, ESG and DEI is what is your role and what do you think your role should be? And I think that that's an important question to ask because a lot of compliance officers are a little confused about what they should be doing. You know, especially I think ESG comes top of mind. It sort of is a, a mad scramble at this point. 
And all of a sudden, you know, a lot of people are, are sort of getting it thrust onto their plates and maybe they don't feel that they are most equipped to handle the job. Um, so again, it's really strong data for us to have that and to be able to look at that and say, hey, you know, compliance officers are taking on ESG, but they don't think that they should be the ones taking on ESG um, and, and sort of keeping that in mind for our audience. Uh, so, you know, it, there, there'll be a lot coming out over the next couple of weeks with, with Inside the Mind. But I think in general, you'll see it constantly referenced in our coverage throughout the year um, until we do it again next year. Kyle, I'm a subscriber to Compliance Week. And frankly, one of the things I've enjoyed the most this year has been some great long form reporting. Um, lawyers, so I enjoy long form, but the reporting's been great and the topics have been great. And three of my favorites were the Volkswagen Monitor Ship, the Carnival Cruise Lines, and then sort of academic surveys or academic research going awry. I was wondering if uh, personally I wanted to ask, will those continue? There's yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, so, you know, we do have our data and research journalist, Allie McDevitt, who does an awesome job with those case studies. Um, you know, she had her, her first one uh, published, um, I think it was, I want to say it was last year. Time is just a blur uh, regarding Carnival Cruise and their um, uh, their ethics, uh, you know, their, their, I'm sorry, their environmental um program that they had to enter with the Department of Justice for dumping bilge water into the ocean. So, um, and their second one was focused on Volkswagen and its U.S. compliance monitorship after the Dieselgate scandal. Uh, she's currently working on her third case study, uh, which is going to be focused on ransomware. Um, so we're hoping to have that one published um, aligning with our Cyber Risk and Data Privacy Summit in January, uh, just because that seems to be the most timely time to roll something out like that. Um, and Ali will continue to work on pieces like that. You know, I, I think they're they're really valuable. We're able to do a lot with the, that content, uh, not only for our readers, but also just for the compliance community. You know, we, we've taught courses on it at businesses and stuff like that. We've been able to make PowerPoints off of it and, and demonstrate it to groups and or, or give those you know resources to compliance officers if they want to do a presentation within their own company and sort of say like, hey, you know, this is what will happen if we go down this path or what have you. Um, so we're able to do a lot with those and that's really going to be a continued priority for us. Um, and then I think the the long form packages in general, you know, we're gonna try and do more of that stuff. You know, I, like I said, we have Ali who's our dedicated writer for uh, data and research, but uh, earlier this summer, our policy writer, Aaron Nicodemus did a, a, a six part series on uh, whistleblowers and, and just sort of detailing the life cycle of a whistleblower, you know, from when they find the misconduct to the internal struggle of reporting it to, you know, the retaliation they face um, to ultimately, you know, whether or not they receive a payout for all their efforts. Um, and, you know, I, I think that was such a strong package uh, that sort of was just born from a discussion that we had had on the side, you know, saying, wow, you know, I think whistleblowing is really fascinating. And especially now, where the last two years the SEC has been handing out whistleblower awards left and right, you know, it's really in focus. I think the, the, the last fiscal year they got 12,200 whistleblower tips, which was like, I think, a 75% increase over the previous year. So, I mean, you know, we, we sort of are always reading the tea leaves and, and, and seeing where um, things are getting a lot of attention and what the, our best way to cover that is, you know, whether it be our day to day coverage or really cracking it open and going in depth. You know, I think that's 
a lot of what compliance officers are looking for. And I think that's a lot of what we need to provide to our audience, being especially a, a subscription-based company. You know, we need to justify to our audience, why are they spending this money with us? So giving them this original content that speaks directly to them as chief compliance officers or audit executives or risk management officers um, is really important. And that's something that we are for sure going to continue. Compliance Week recently announced um, information and registration for Compliance Week 2022 conference. Uh, I'm probably not as excited as you guys, but it's uh, just barely behind you all. You mentioned how much you enjoy moderating live events. Well, Compliance Week is going to have a live event. Everyone in the compliance community is looking forward to it. Uh, The week before Memorial Day, May 2022, the traditional week of Compliance Week's conference. Uh, But uh, I wanted to, uh, I saw today on the website something called the Ambassador Program. So I wanted to maybe ask you what that is. And really, uh, if you could start to preview or even give us some teasers for Compliance Week 2022, recognizing it's uh, still six eight months away. Yeah, I think, you know, for starters, we're completely thrilled to be able to say that this po- this conference is going to be in person. You know, I think the last, oh boy, uh, how long have we been in lockdown? 18 months or so have just been such a challenge um, to not be able to have these networking events. You know, we still put on um, virtual events that have gone great and, and we've gotten really good feedback from them, but there's still just that something that's missing when you're not in person. So we're so happy to be able to go back to doing it in person. You know, that said, we will be making sure that it is as safe an environment as possible. You know, I think May of next year is going to be a real interesting time. Um, You know, one would hope things are better. um, But at the same time, a lot of people are going to be one year into being vaccinated. What's that? What's that landscape going to be like? You know, how we don't know how long the vaccine lasts and the efficacy of it. So I think you know, where it's, it's a little bit of a concern in that regard. So we w- do want to make sure it's as safe an event as possible. And that way it's as inviting an event as possible. Um, and that's sort of what we have in mind with the ambassador program. So through the end of the year, we are rewarding the individuals that will sign up for our conference early. You know, the ones that are willing to show that commitment to say, hey, we trust you that you are going to put on a safe event despite the fact that we don't know what the world's going to look like in May. Um, and, and we have faith that Compliance Week will put on a quality program despite the circumstances. So that's what the ambassador program is. You know, it's a discounted rate. It's, it's sort of some preferential treatment, which who doesn't love that? Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just a way to really thank those people that are willing to commit to us so early. Um in terms of the content programming, um, you know, that's that's still a bit of a work in progress at this point because uh, we are just coming off our, our Europe conference uh, last week. So, you know, one of the, the, the keynotes that we do have booked is um, John Carew, the, uh, the writer of Bad Blood and um, the Wall Street Journal reporter that really broke the Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos um, story. So, you know, it, it, that's going to be a real fascinating discussion with the fact that the Theranos trial is very much uh, in progress right now regarding Elizabeth Holmes. You know, we'll have, I I do believe we'll have a a verdict by then. Um, So it'll be great to hear his perspectives on um, the trial and and just talking a little bit about the impacts of it. You know, I think 
Theranos is, is a really interesting story of third-party risk. Um, and, and so we'll have John talking about that in that regard. Um, but, you know, being a Washington, D.C.-based conference, uh, a lot of our slate will also be dictated by what regulators were able to get attend. You know, representatives from the Department of Justice, SEC, that's compliance officers want to hear from the folks that are setting the rules. So there'll certainly be a lot of that as well. Uh, it's definitely something that uh, we hope people are keeping an eye on because it's it's going to be coming together real quick and, and we're really looking forward to it. Uh, so, Kyle, this probably wouldn't surprise you, but um, I wanted to ask, will Compliance Week restart uh, a podcast or maybe start some new ones uh, going forward? Yeah, Tom, I'd say at this point, everything's on the table. You know, we really want to make sure that we're figuring out the best way to service our user base. Um, and, you know, we, we acknowledge that, um, you know, you, you've found a really strong niche here with the podcast. And I think that there's a reason that you are so invested in it and it is so personal to you is because you're also seeing that it matters a lot to your audience. Um, so that's something that we, we are paying attention to and we're always sort of looking for different ways to reach our audience. Um, but I think uh, as of right now, I wouldn't say anything is overly uh, imminent. You know, I, I think for me and, and settling into this new role, the number one thing I, I just want to focus on is, is sort of getting a grasp on our, our written content being that's the way we primarily reach our audience. Uh, and, and really analyzing what we do there and what we might be able to do better there uh, before branching into some of those other areas. Um, you know, it, I know we have a massive uh, backlog of, of all these videos from our events that we've been doing over the last year and a half, all these virtual events that are really strong content that we'd love to be able to provide our members and say, hey, you know, get for being a member with us, you get to hear one hour of these experts talking about this at our event, you know, for free. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a lot of what we're trying to do, but I certainly would not rule anything out. You know, I, I think uh, that's a, a kind of foolish approach in, in journalism nowadays because it's, it's changed so much in the last year, never even mind the last five years. Um, so I think podcasts are, are certainly on the table and we've talked about that internally here and, and we've tried some different things in the last couple of years um, that have sort of been a little difficult to stick with just because uh, everyone's still remote. It's a lot easier when we're in the office and we're able to collaborate directly. Um, so once we get back into that, uh, I will certainly be considering that. And Tom, you will be the first person to know if we go down that path. Well, Kyle, uh, that's a great note to end this, this podcast on. But I was wondering before we leave, if our listeners wanted uh, any more information on any of the topics you've touched on, to find out more about Compliance Week, the online publication, or Compliance Week 2022, the conference, where can they go? Yeah, so I, I mean, they, the, the first place to go would be ComplianceWeek.com. You know, uh, our, our information for our conference is right at the very top of our homepage, uh, but we do also have more information on our events page uh, where people would be able to get constant updates on the agenda. Um, you know, we're, we're very active on social media as well. So if you check our Compliance Week Twitter or our Compliance Week LinkedIn, uh, you'll also see more about our events. I think we will probably have a, a group on LinkedIn that will be specifically dedicated to giving uh, updates about the events. Um, but regarding the rest of it, you know, I, I appreciate anyone that stays tuned to complianceweek.com and, and the content that we put out. You know, we have a daily newsletter each day that goes out with all of our stories. Um, and we're also always posting those on social media. But 
I encourage anyone who has any interest in learning more to reach out to me directly, um, you know, either on, on LinkedIn or at my email, which is just kyle.brasser at complianceweek.com. Uh, I learned the most in my job from being able to interact with compliance officers directly. So anyone that has any interest, I'm all ears. You know, the only way I can do my job successfully is if I know what is important to you. Um, so that, that would be, I think, the best way to, to reach us. Well, Kyle, I wanted to uh, congratulate you again. I've known and worked with each one of your predecessors. Uh, you have some really big shoes to fill. I am confident you'll fill them. And frankly, I'm excited to see the direction you take the entire Compliance Week oeuvre of, uh, of offerings. So I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate you having me. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. I hope we will check out the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Hidden Traffic, a podcast hosted by Wynn Hassan. Wynn takes a look at human trafficking and modern slavery in all its forms, but more importantly, what can you as the compliance professional do to help fight this international scourge? Check out Hidden Traffic, newly premiered on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.